sermon number 655, The Human Touch, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, July 29th, 1973. And the text is Mark, the first chapter, the 40th through the 44th verses. Gospel according to Mark, the first chapter. We begin to read at the 40th verse, and as we have been doing this month, reading from the Living Bible, which is the new paraphrase edition of the Holy Scriptures. Once a leper came and knelt in front of Jesus and begged to be healed. If you want to, you can make me clean again, he pled. And Jesus, moved with pity, touched him and said, I want to be healed. Immediately the leprosy was gone and the man was healed. And Jesus then told him sternly, go and be examined immediately by the Jewish priests. Don't stop to speak to anyone along the way. Take along the offering prescribed by Moses for a leper who is healed so that everyone will have proof that you are made well again. But as the man went on his way, he began to shout the good news that he was healed. And as a result, such throngs soon surrounded Jesus that he couldn't publicly enter a city anywhere. But he had to stay out in the barren wastelands. And people from everywhere came to him there. Another one of the incidents of healing. And when you count them in the four Gospels, you find that there are 26 recorded cases of individual healings accomplished by Jesus Christ. 26. And it's very interesting to study and examine the different methods and modes used by Jesus when he healed those 26 individual people. There are healings which have been accomplished because Jesus requires and demands a particular positive action on the part of the patient. This was true when he said to the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. And it was after the man stretched out his hand that he was healed. This was the case when, when Jesus said to the paralytic there at Bethesda, Take up your bed and walk. And when he took up his bed and walked, he was healed. This was true when, when Jesus said and demanded 
that the blind man go down and wash in the pool of Siloam. Some of us were in the pool of Siloam last October. It's pretty dirty. But the man washed in it. He was healed. On other occasions, Jesus didn't demand a specific action on the part of the patient as much as he commanded with his voice the evil spirits to come out of the sick. This was the case, you know, when they brought the epileptic boy unto the master. Jesus said, come out of him. And the evil spirits of deafness did come out of the boy and he was healed. Sometimes Jesus would combine the different methods and, and with a complicated maneuver would perfect the healing. Such was the case when up in the Galilean region, there in the north, they, they brought a man who was deaf and who had a speech impediment. And Jesus took him away from the crowd and privately off to the side. And, and he took some of his own saliva and he placed it upon the stuttering man's tongue and then he took his own two forefingers and he pushed them into the ears of the man who couldn't hear and then looking up to heaven the Bible says he shouted be opened and the man who was deaf could hear and his speech impediment gone But in this particular healing case, which is testified to today's Bible reading, there are no demands placed upon the patient. And except for four or five words that were spoken by Jesus in answer to a simple question by the leper, there are no words of command and no complicated maneuvers done by our Lord. The leper came and said, If you will, you can make me well again. And Jesus simply answered, I will be healed. And then it said, He touched the man. He touched the man and the man was healed the healing touch I don't think we need to labor the point because anybody who knows anything about Christian theology about prayer knows that Jesus did not have to touch the leper to heal him no, being the Son of God, having the healing power of God in his own human body, possessing the healing strength of the Almighty in his six-foot-one frame, or however tall he was, Jesus didn't have to touch the leper to make him well. He could have very easily demanded that the leper do something in a positive way to be healed. He could have commanded with strong words the man to be healed. He could have complicatedly 
done some maneuver to, maneuvering to heal that man. As a matter of fact, he could have healed that leopard if the leopard had been ten miles down the road. You know, you know, Jesus did that on an occasion, the servant of the centurion, remember? And also the, the child of the Syrophoenician woman, he healed those people when they were miles away from his presence, and Jesus could have healed this man, even though he had been clear across town. But for some reason or another, Jesus chose to touch him. And I present to you the idea here that though it was the power of God in the person of Jesus Christ who healed, because it's only God who heals. Even Catherine Kuhlman, in an interview which I read several weeks ago in Christianity Today, she does not want to be called a faith healer. It's God working through her who heals. This is what she claims. No man heals, only God can heal. Jesus knew that, and it was the power of God on him that healed the leper. But Jesus nevertheless saw the necessity for touching this man with his human hand. Because though it was the power of God in Jesus that healed the leper, it was the human touch of Jesus that helped that leper to no recognition. Recognition. Next to bread, that is a food for which every mortal hungers. And though we may not like to admit it, it is a necessary vitamin for any of us if we're going to achieve our personal destiny. I don't care who you are. We all from time to time have to be recognized. If ever we're going to fulfill the destiny for which God has created us. Dr. Harris, in his very popular book on transactional analysis, which many of you have read and we've studied it together in many different levels, I'm okay, you're okay. He says there that stroking, that's, that's the psychological term which is used for what we call touching, recognizing, acknowledging the presence of someone else is very, very important, not only when we are children, but throughout all of life. And we just don't survive unless we are stroked. That man that Jesus met needed stroking. You see, leprosy was a horrible disease for two reasons, not only because of the sickness and the soreness that it brought to the body, but because of the isolation that it brought to the personality. The man who had leprosy, or the woman or the child, was banished from society, ostracized from his home. He wasn't allowed to stand within six feet of another individual. If anyone would closer, come closer than that, you'd have to call it unclean, unclean. 
the law of Leviticus 13 says that he shall be thrown out of the camp and his habitation shall be in the wilderness. You see, the psychological consequence that comes with leprosy is far worse than the physical. Maybe he had it for weeks, months, years. He was married. He didn't know what it was to feel the embrace of his lover. He had children. He didn't know what it was to hold them in his arms. He hadn't touched another individual for however many days he had this disease. And Jesus knew he needed recognition. He needed stroking, and Jesus touched him. And what healing and help can come with a human touch? In the fall of 1954, when I went to the seminary at Princeton, New Jersey, uh, like all incoming students, I was carefully warned as to the necessity for safety in driving my automobile on the seminary campus. And this was just not for the sake of all the other students in the seminary community, for their safety, but primarily because of the particular eccentricities of one of our neighbors who live just beyond a few doors from the seminary community. We're in a little yellow frame house. I can still see it there. Lived a man, a body, that perhaps contained the greatest mind of the 20th century. I'm talking, of course, of Dr. Albert Einstein. And we had to be very careful as we drove and even walked on our seminary campus because the good doctor, with his tennis shoes on his feet and his white hair blowing in the breeze, would often use the seminary campus as the place where he would take his evening walks. And this man of science, especially in the area of mathematics, would be so preoccupied with things that were so far above the comprehension of any of us that he would be totally oblivious of anyone who might be standing right in front of him, whether you were walking or driving your automobile. And and you always had to walk and drive defensively so you, the doctor didn't walk into you. And you would know that you might harm one of the finest minds that God has ever produced. Living just a few doors from Dr. Einstein was the family of Dr. Elmer Homerichhausen, one of my professors, later dean of the seminary, the retired one of a, the great churchmen in the world today. And he came home from his lecturing that day, found his comfortable chair, sat down in it, was carefully reading the newspaper, the hectic and horrible headlines of that day, when suddenly said the door was about to come off his hinges as it suddenly came open, and his little little grade school son came running in and 
shouting at the top of a voice, his voice said, He touched me. He, he touched me. And Dr. Homer Cowson, not knowing who he was, didn't know if he should run out in the street and punch somebody or thank them. And when they finally got the little boy quieted and found out what happened, it was very easy to recognize the great joy that was in the boy's life. For while he was out in the front yard playing, as he had many, many times before, down through the campus came Dr. Einstein. And the boy many times had gotten out of the good doctor's way. But on that particular day, the doctor, for some reason or other, stopped in front of the little boy. He looked down at him, and he said, hello. And then he touched the boy on the top of his head. And though ten minutes later, I'm sure Dr. Einstein forgot all about that, that young Homerichhausen child will never forget that as long as he lives. For somebody who was a hero of his and a hero of every young man and old man in America and the world, recognized him. And that was important. I can never forget when our church back home had a father-son banquet one night. And I sat close to, talked to, was introduced to... <coughs> and shook hands with Frankie Gustine, the then third baseman of the Pittsburgh Pirates. I didn't wash that hand for a week. He recognized me. Well, he forgot all about it five minutes later. Maybe it's been over 25 years now, and I haven't forgotten it. He saw me. And I knew it because he touched me. Strange, isn't it? Our bodies grow older, our hair gets whiter and thinner. But still the little boy and the little girl stays with us. And Jesus knew it. The human touch, it recognizes. And it does more than that through the silence of body language. It gives us the message of compassion. Compassion. You know, I, I, I sometimes think we are so anxious to solve the problems of the world, to give polite and pious answers as to why horrible things happen in life, and, and to give our own theories and prescriptions on therapy on how things ought to be done. We're so anxious that oftentimes we overlook the value and the power of a human touch. Many years ago, I, I heard the story, and I don't think I'll ever forget it, about the young clergyman who got off of the train 
It's an old story. They had trains then that ran and carried people. He got off the train station in Cleveland, and as he was standing there waiting for his host to come and take him wherever they were going, he noticed getting off the same train a man who was a soldier. He knew by his uniform the man was blinded, obviously, from combat. And he, his heart went out to that young soldier, and he thought, I must do something. And we saw him carrying a very heavy valise. He went over and he offered to carry that suitcase for the soldier, and the soldier denied the, the offer of help. Well, tell me, Sergeant, there must be something that I can do, somewhere I can take you. Well, sir, if you do want to help, I would like to find the information desk. But the young clergyman firmly grabbed the blind man by the arm, and he began to lead him across the railroad terminal, which was so crowded and complex, to the information desk. And about halfway there, suddenly, the soldier just stopped dead. He said, wait a minute, buddy. Don't possess me. Don't push me. Don't try to own me. Don't try to lead me in the way you think I ought to go. If you really want to help me, all I want to feel is the touch of your hand upon my shoulder. It's taken me a long time to learn it. And many times I fail the lesson. But I'm beginning to see more and more as I sit in so many waiting rooms outside of hospital and emergency rooms and in the chambers of the counseling room and in some of your living rooms. And we're going through some of those great, horrible moments of life. Something that is far more helpful than a sermon or an answer as to why this thing's happening or what you ought to do about it is the stillness, the silence, and the compassion that can come with just a touch which says, I understand. I don't know why, but I care. And I hurt with you. See, you, you can't say that with words as well as you can say it with a touch. And Jesus knew it. And he touched that man who had left the sea, who felt completely ostracized, and he gave to that man recognition and compassion. See what you can do with a human touch? But I must warn you, a human touch can get you into trouble. <laughs> you don't go around touching people without, from time to time, getting in trouble because it's misunderstood or somebody misuses that trust. And it hurts you. You see, that's often the part we forget in this passage which was read. Jesus got into trouble because he touched that leper and healed him. 
And I don't mean he, he, he caught the contagious disease of leprosy. Oh, no. He asked that man, after he recognized him and gave him compassion, he asked him, please, don't tell anybody. That old blabbermouth, he had to go out and tell everyone that he had been healed. And Jesus had said there was no longer able publicly to go into any town anywhere. And just think how ineffective Jesus was made because he had healed somebody by touching them. And that touch had come back to haunt him and his effects. You know, that, that's why I think we're afraid to show our emotions. That's why I think we, we really hesitate to put out a hand sometime and be willing to recognize somebody or, or, or to give compassion is because we're scared to death that that touch will be misunderstood, misinterpreted, and misused against us. You know, in, in the preparing of this sermon, I thought a wonderful thing and most helpful thing I could do would be to ask all of you right now just to reach over and touch the person who is sitting beside you. If you know them and love them, that's all right. If, if you don't know them, just reach over and touch them. And immediately I thought, oh my, if, if I asked these pious Presbyterians to do that, they'd run out of here. Worse yet, they'd probably run me out of here. I wonder if any of you have the courage just to reach over and touch somebody who you know. Thank you, sister. Thank you. But you see, most of us, no, we get the idea the church is sitting here and carefully folding our hands together. We forget the whole idea of what it's all about. Are we not here to recognize each other as fellow children of God? Are we not here? To show compassion and understanding to other people. Are we not here saying in essence that as followers of Jesus Christ, we're willing even to get into trouble to show the love of Jesus Christ? God came down in earth and he touched this world in Jesus Christ. And the world drove nails through the hands of our Lord. What more can we expect than to get our hands scarred for touching? A young girl, the eldest of eight children, her mother died when she was very, very young. Because she was the eldest, she had to take over the chores of being the mother. Got up about 5 a.m. every morning to prepare the breakfast. Dressed the seven brothers and sisters. Got ready herself. Had to do the dishes before she could go to class. When she got home, there was always washing and ironing, scrubbing of floors, getting dinner ready. Had to make sure the brothers and sisters got their lessons. After she put them to bed, she had to get her own lessons. She didn't have much free time, and a very unwise minister once came to the house and said, Sally, I haven't seen you in church recently. Sally, your uh, tennis in Sunday school isn't too good. Uh, we missed you at young people's, and your financial record is very poor. 
Sally, suppose tonight you were to die and go to meet God. What would you say to him? Nothing, Reverend. Nothing. For as he would look into my heart, I'd show him my hands. God's interested only in the thoughts of our heads, the love of our hearts. and the work of our hands. Amen.